Good morning, Woodmont. Welcome to worship. Uh, just a reminder that we are continuing our Wednesday night Lenten Bible study with Rubel Shelley this week, 6.30 on Zoom, uh, if you'd like to join us for that. Uh, please join me, if you would, for a word of prayer. Loving God, open our hearts and minds. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About a week ago, I was over at my uh, friend Alex Waddy's house. Uh, many of you know Alex. He's been through a lot uh, over the past uh, 15 months. He lost his wife, Issy, uh, in December of 2019 after she had a really brave battle with colon cancer. And during the time that she was sick, Alex's mom, Virginia, really uh, stepped in and helped him take care of the kids. And after Issy passed away, uh, she did the same thing. But uh, about seven months or eight months after Issy passed away, we found out that Virginia uh, had a brain tumor. And it was very aggressive, and uh, she only lived a, a couple of months. And so Alex lost his, his mom uh, after losing his wife. Um, but I admire Alex because of how strong and courageous he's been uh, during all this and going through everything that, that, he's, that he's gone through. But he and I were talking, and I asked him, I said, is there a book uh, that somebody's given you that's been especially helpful with your your grief and, and your loss. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I've been given lots of books, but the most helpful thing for me has been to read and study scripture. He said the words of Jesus, the words of Paul. He told me so many people in our culture read all kinds of books, all kinds of blogs, but they never turn to scripture, which is where we find real strength and real hope. Well, that stuck with me. And that's what we're doing this Lenten season by studying Mark's gospel. The new series that we're in is called The Life of Jesus. And I'm encouraging you to read Mark uh, on your own because we're not going to be able to hit every chapter. Today, we move ahead to chapter four. At the very beginning of chapter four, we have uh, the first parable that's known as the parable of the sower. And Jesus says this, he says, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, the seed fell on different kinds of soil. Some seed fell on the path and the birds quickly ate it up. Some seed fell on the rocky ground where it sprang up quickly, but because it had no depth, it was scorched by the sun and it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, but the thorns grew up and choked it. Other seed fell on the good soil and it brought forth grain, growing up and yielding 30, 60, and 100 fold. And then a few verses later, Jesus does something that he doesn't often do. He explains the meaning of this parable in Mark's gospel. He says, the sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately re receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a while. And then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately they fall away. 
and others are sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come up and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones who are sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30 and 60 and 100 fold. So my question to you this morning is, as we continue in this Lenten season, which soil describes your heart right now? How receptive are you to hearing Jesus's teachings and applying them to your life? What would it take to become the good soil that we read about in this parable? It's the end of chapter four that I really want to focus on this morning. It's evening time and Jesus and his disciples get on a boat and they head out to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Mark tells us that a great windstorm arose and the waves started beating against the boat and the boat was being swamped and overcome. But Jesus, who was probably tired from a long day of teaching and parables, he was asleep in the stern of the boat on a cushion, another specific detail in Mark's gospel. But the disciples begin to panic and they go and they wake him up and they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Well, with that, Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and he says, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And then Jesus asks, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And the disciples were, were filled with great awe and they asked, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Do you remember a movie that came out back in the year 2000 called The Perfect Storm? The movie tells the true story of a fishing expedition uh, off the coast of Massachusetts back in 1991. Uh, it's a, uh, a, a, a boat called the Andrea Gale. Uh, watch this clip and see if you remember this film. In the fall of 1991, the Andrea Gale left Gloucester, Massachusetts and headed for the fishing grounds of the North Atlantic. Two weeks later, an event took place that had never occurred in recorded history.
Now, the only difference between the perfect storm that the Andrea Gale went into and what I'm going to call the perfect storm that we've been living in this past year is that we're making it through this storm. We're, we're getting out of this storm, but we have been living in our own perfect storm. And I see this as having four different waves. The first wave started a year ago with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. We had no idea it would last this long. This microscopic virus has now claimed over 500,000 American lives, people that either died from or with COVID. It brought us to our knees. It's affected every aspect of our lives, work, school, social life, church, politics, voting, everything. We've all been affected. The good news is I think we are now reaching an inflection point. I really believe that. Cases are way down from where they were at their peak uh, back in January. Schools are reopening. Vaccines are being distributed and administered at a much faster pace. Spring weather is coming, which means we will get to spend more time outside uh, in, in our backyards, in parks, uh, on patios. But we've all been dealing with this for a year. The second wave of this perfect storm is what happened last summer after the tragic death of George Floyd. That event led to anger and protests and riots and a lot of damage was done in many American cities and to businesses. Businesses were burned, stores were looted. It was a mess. One of the things that frustrates people about politics is that lawlessness is only addressed when it's politically convenient. What happened last summer was lawlessness. What happened on January the 6th was lawlessness. We can't live in a civil society if we don't call out lawlessness whenever it takes place. America has struggled for decades with racial tension and injustice. And I think we've made many, many strides uh, towards building a better community, living out Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. But there is still work to be done, and our church is doing our part. We're trying to do our part to make it better. The third wave of this perfect storm that we've had to live through is simply the toxic and contentious election season that we all experienced. After COVID had started, after the racial tension was there, we had to then go through an election cycle. I was a part or listening in on the Trinity Forum about a week ago, and I heard Jonathan Haidt, somebody that I respect, I've followed his research for years, He's a professor at NYU, and Jonathan Haidt made a comment that really struck me. He said, for many people in American society, politics has replaced religion. Why is that? Is it because churches have been closed? Is it because people are more passionate about their politics than they are about their faith? How did politics go from policy issues where we might disagree to being a blood sport? How did that happen? Social media and the digital age have not helped. 
Toxic rhetoric hasn't helped. We need to put politics back in its proper place. For Christians, that means that we need to refocus our loyalty and our attention on Jesus Christ and what he calls us to do. And we need to listen to each other and stop demonizing each other. We need to build a more civil society. The fourth wave of this perfect storm that we've been living in is simply the ongoing mental, emotional, and spiritual toll that all of this has taken on our society at large. Addiction has soared. Suicides are up. Anxiety is present and real. Patience is short. Tempers seem to flare. Kids have been home for a long time doing virtual learning. Many have felt lost and hopeless during this time. People are just exhausted and they're looking for some kind of break. It's one thing to go through a struggle that lasts for a few weeks or even a few months, but an entire year dealing with all of these things, it's a lot and everybody has their limit. And so those four waves come together, have come together, to create what I'm calling a perfect storm. And my friend Shane Foster reminds me that we're all living through the same perfect storm, but we're just in different boats. But just like the disciples, when they were in the boat crossing the Sea of Galilee, we too need to turn to Jesus because he calms the storms of life. So how do we do that? That's the real important question. And I have three thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. The first thought is we all need to be more intentional about reading and reflecting on Scripture, specifically the life-changing and life-giving words of Jesus. The Christian life involves many different disciplines, but there is simply no substitute for reading and studying Scripture on a regular basis. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth famously said that we should approach every day with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. The Bible contains so many answers and solutions to the problems that our culture faces, but if we don't read it, if we don't study it, then we won't know. I go back to what Alex said about a week ago. He said, Scripture gives us the strength. He said, it's given me the strength to get through the challenging storms of life. But unfortunately, many Christians do not make it a priority. We read books, we read blogs, we read websites, we read celebrity gossip magazines, but we often don't read scripture. And what has happened is we have quickly become a biblically illiterate culture. Stephen Prothrow is a professor at Boston University. He wrote this book called Religious Literacy. And he says, as a culture... Christians believe that the Bible is so important, but the irony is so few Christians actually take the time to read and study it. George Barna came out with some statistics a few years ago that I found fascinating. He said 91% of U.S. households own a Bible. In 2015, 33% read from the Bible outside of church, which was down from 47% five years earlier in 2010. 
I'd be afraid to ask what it is today. Only 20% of adults have read the entire Bible from cover to cover. 45% of adults say that they are extremely or moderately knowledgeable of the Bible. So clearly we are in a culture where biblical knowledge and Bible study has been on the decline. And I'm not sure why. And this is a problem if we believe that the Bible is God's word and it speaks God's truth for our lives. Every Wednesday night right now, we're offering a Bible study with a great preacher and teacher, Dr. Rubel Shelley. So join us at 630. It's usually about an hour long. Uh, join us on the Zoom link. Second thought this morning. We need to recognize that being busy for God does not equate to spending time with God. They did a very interesting study at Willow Creek Community Church a number of years ago. They had assumed going into the study that if somebody was actively involved in church leadership, serving on committees uh, on the board or as a deacon or an elder, then that would translate into growing in their faith. But what they actually found was the opposite. The people who were most involved in the life of the church, its work and its activities, were the least likely to be growing spiritually. Why is that? It's because religious busyness does not equate to growth. You know, every week I try to carve out time and build my schedule uh, in a way where I can read and study and reflect and write and have time to be quiet and still. Um, and if I don't carve out that time, it'll get eaten up by appointments and phone calls and meetings uh, and counseling sessions and you name it. But being busy for God is not the same thing as spending time with God. There's no substitute for spending time with God, for reading the words of Jesus and reflecting upon them. The way that we spend time with God is through Bible study and prayer and small groups and journaling. That's how we become the good soil that Jesus is talking about in the parable of the sower. Finally, this morning, my third thought is that once we spend time with God and we start doing that on a regular basis, we must come to a realization that we cannot and should not live our lives paralyzed by fear. It's unhealthy. You know, in Mark and in the other gospels, we hear Jesus saying over and over again, do not be afraid. In our passage today, he asks the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Too many of us live our lives in fear every day, and, and it's no way to live. I remember a couple of Easter's ago, I, I was talking about fear, and I was talking about all the things that, that we fear in life, uh, that, that, that we think about nonstop. We have fear that we're going to run out of money. We have fear that we might be abandoned. We have fear that others will reject us, fear that our lives won't matter for anything. We have fear that our health won't hold up, fear that our kids 
don't appreciate us or respect us, fear that our marriage isn't going to last, fear that our country isn't the same as it once was, fear that Nashville keeps growing so fast with people coming from all over the place and the traffic is getting worse and worse, fear that our health is going uh, to decline, fear that our best years might be behind us, fear that we might get COVID and we could die. We have all these fears that are always in our head. And I said that particular Easter Sunday that this is no way to live. This is not God's desire for our lives. Afraid all the time, anxious all the time, worried all the time, scared all the time, nervous. It takes the joy out of living. And I believe that managing anxiety and fear is one of the most challenging aspects of being a human being because we all have to deal with it. Fred Craddock once preached a sermon and Fred is an amazing preacher. He was a mentor of mine, one of the best, maybe the best preacher that's ever been in the Christian church, one of the best in the world. And Fred said this, he said, afraid, 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 afraid. That's the refrain of what we are and what we do. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to live and love and laugh. Don't be afraid to give and serve and care. Don't be afraid to speak and do. That's the message of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he told us, remember, I am with you always until the end of the age. And so, yes, I think we have been living over the past 12 months in a perfect storm. And yes, I think that because of that, we're going to grow individually and as a community. But I do believe with all my heart that part of trusting God means not living our lives in fear all the time. Be responsible, take precautions, but don't let fear and worry and anxiety dominate your existence. Amen.